The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I'm not really sure what your practice is around this or your belief system. I know that it can be really controversial and a lot of people have hard and fast opinions about it. I am one of these people that have very hard and fast opinions and you cannot move me off my opinion about it, no matter your reasoning. And that is simply around this idea that you do not start until after Thanksgiving, Christmas music. And I know some of you, like you like to start at Halloween or maybe like Labor Day. Some of you, it's like all year round, like you think Scrooge meant it when he said, keep Christmas in your heart all year. And I don't know how you all live with that kind of chaos in your life, not knowing what year it is, what time of year it is. But for me, you cannot start until after Thanksgiving and uh, the first annual viewing of Die Hard. That's just the way I do things. <laughs> and you can do them wrong, but that's the way that I do them. But this has been problematic for me my entire life. If you've been around Ecclesia for a while, you might remember that I told you early in his career, my dad was a band director. He was a high school band director. And so when you're a band director, you have a Christmas concert that you have to do in early December, which means that you have to start thinking about and planning Christmas music well before Thanksgiving. So I grew up in this house where my dad, early in the fall, if not late in the summer, would start thinking about Christmas music and start playing Christmas music. And then I got into late elementary school, junior high and high school, and like some of you, like I was in band, and to get ready for those same Christmas concerts, we had to start early getting all the music ready. And there's kind of like a rhythm to the year, like late in the summer before school starts, like that's when marching band stuff starts. And then you have to do all the marching band stuff. And then when the football season's over, you start all of the Christmas music. But if you went to a school that had a good football team, like your football team kept on playing and you still had to go, I'd never had to worry about that. Our football team was awful. So we would start well before Thanksgiving working on Christmas music. And now my youngest daughter, my 14 year old is a freshman in high school and she's in choir and for their Christmas concert, they have a performance of the Messiah coming up in a few weeks. And we have been listening to the Messiah, what feels like since April, like it is just <laughs> on a loop in the house. So it has been Christmas music all the way through. And now I have been a pastor for 25 years. And so we have this season of the year called Advent, which I have to start thinking about well before Thanksgiving, like even into the summer. So even though I have these hard and fast rules about when you can legitimately listen to Christmas music and not be a crazy person. I've always, I've never been able to abide by those rules. But I wake up this morning and it's here. But today is the first Sunday of Advent. And maybe like me, if you didn't grow up in a church 
context, a tradition that celebrated the Christian calendar. Um, maybe you grew up with, in one that was kind of antithetical to the Christian calendar, just didn't like the Christian calendar. Or maybe you're in a place where you're just exploring faith and what all of this means, and you've never done any of this before. Well, today is the first Sunday of Advent. And Advent is four weeks leading up to Christmas Day. Then Christmas Day starts, anyone know? The 12 days of Christmas. So if you're singing the 12 days of Christmas now, you're way early on that. And Advent simply means coming. It's the time of the year where Christians throughout the centuries have anticipated, expected the coming of Jesus into the world. As a matter of fact, it is the beginning of the Christian year. So all of, that, all of that stuff that happens on January 1st where people make resolutions or they pick their word or they resolve for this year to be different in this area or this area, this area for Christian people throughout history, that's today. This is the beginning of the year. And so each Sunday during Advent, we light a candle and these candles represent different things and in different traditions, they have different foci for the candles. For some it's victory or hope and love and peace, all of those things. But this is the time of year where the Christian church says that Jesus is coming. He's coming into the world. And because of that, something about my life, something about the way I live in the world, the way I show up in the world, has to be different. It's the time where we make space for the coming of Jesus because what happens over the course of a year is we just get busy. We get busy with school or work, with family commitments. We get busy having to manage people that we don't particularly care for or want to be around. We've got bills to pay. We've got assignments. We've got projects. We just get busy. And this is the opportunity every year to reset. And if you've been around Ecclesia for a while, for over 20 years now, we have invited one another to practice Advent a little bit differently. Because you all know the same thing that I know, that for the rest of the world, especially in the West, that Christmas and Advent really has become predominantly about consumption. And not only that, but like conspicuous consumption. You've seen, you've seen those ads on television where one partner buys their partner like a Lexus or some luxury car with a big bow on it. On, like, do y'all know where we get those bows? I don't know where you would find a bow. And if, if my wife, if I walked out in our driveway on Christmas and there was a new car, I'm pretty sure I'd be like, I'm really not interested in car payments for the next five years. Like, how is this a gift? But that's what it's been about for most of us, about this season where we don't even really give gifts. What we do is exchange gifts. Like I give you something and you give me something, usually that we don't need. So for 20 years now, Ecclesia, we have invited one another to live into the rhythm of this season a little bit differently with something that we call Advent Conspiracy. And there are four practices, four tenets around Advent Conspiracy, if you're new, and they are these, to worship fully, 
to spend less, give more, and love all. And so we're gonna spend some time with those over the next four weeks from now until Christmas Eve. Which brings me back to reading about Christmas this summer when I was having to get ready for Advent and listening to Christmas music even though it was before Thanksgiving. I was reading the Gospel of Luke. And I've mentioned before that I have a practice every morning. I just read part of a gospel and then God gives me what he gives me. And I'm reading the Christmas story in the Gospel of Luke. And something there stood out to me that I know I have read a thousand times, maybe 10,000 times. Something that most of you have read a thousand times, maybe even 10,000 times. Like it, you don't have to have spent any time with the Bible itself. If you're just around, if you're just breathing, you have heard this before. And it happens in the Christmas story, right as the shepherds are out in the fields tending their flocks by night, and an angel appears to these shepherds just out in the fields. And the shepherds are frightened because that's always what happens in the Bible when an angel shows up. And the angel says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty awesome. Good news of great joy. But then if you just keep reading, the story kind of just zips along from there. Like the next thing you know, we're meeting a man named Simeon when Jesus is being dedicated. And Simeon's very old, and, and he has this prayer, this little song, where he celebrates that God has allowed him to live this long. And at the end of it, he goes, you know what? God promised me that I would see the Lord's anointed, and now I can just die. And the next thing you know, we meet a prophetess named Anna. And Anna's very old as well, and she's a widow. And she sees Jesus, and she celebrates. But the story just keeps rolling on. And the next thing you know, Luke is telling us about Mary and Joseph and their son Jesus taking this trip to the temple, a trip they took every year. And by this time, Jesus is in late childhood or early adolescence. And they head back home after their trip to the temple, and they're like halfway there before they realize, oh, where's Jesus? And they have to go back and hunt him down and find him. When they get there, Jesus is kind of like, what did you think? Where did you think I was going to be? And I'm reading the story, and I'm wondering to myself, if I were reading this for the first time, what happened to the good news? I mean, it's been a while now. It's been over a decade. And the shepherd's out in the field. And someone comes along and they said, we're gonna bring you good news of great joy. 
And what's happened? No news. I mean, you might expect that after six months. Maybe a year, three years, maybe about five years, you start getting a little antsy about the whole thing. But it's, it's been over a decade. What happened to the good news? Now, I know the saying. Like, the saying is, no news is good news. But no news is only good news to people who aren't waiting on news. Because if you've submitted the application, no news is not good news. If you've taken the test and you're waiting for the doctor's office to call back, no news is not good news. If you've made the proposal and she said, he said, I'll get back to you. <laughs> no news is not good news. No news is, no news is only good news for people who aren't waiting on news. As a matter of fact, no news when you're waiting on news is bad news. And good news of great joy? I don't, I don't know where you are right now in terms of your whole life and your relationships and people that you love. But I know a lot of people who could use great joy. A friend of mine lives in Colorado. And in Colorado, they've been through the same thing that we have been through the last two years. And he just begged his mother, pleaded with his mother to get a COVID vaccination because she was just going all over the place doing all kinds of stuff. And she said, you know what? I'm not going to get COVID. And if I do, God's going to heal me. And she got COVID. And four weeks ago, she died from COVID. Now he's grieving. And not only is he grieving, he's mad at his mother for why he's grieving. I told you last week about a friend of mine north of town whose husband just didn't wake up. And she's left with her three kids. Someone else close to us in their marriage, she decided <laughs> that she was just done. She got up, walked out, didn't come back. I know a lot of people, you know a lot of people, who could really use good news of great joy. Matter of fact, I think most of those people would be happy with good news of moderate joy.
where'd the good news go? Luke, this angel shows up and makes an announcement. And then Luke goes silent about what the good news is, and not just for a little while. Until John the Baptist. And this has been years, decades, no news, no banner headline, no phone notification. And then when you're in that place, and you really want some good news of great joy, who do you get? John the Baptist, who lives out in the wilderness with long hair that doesn't take baths. He's got the whole Nazarite vow. He's out there eating bugs and gnats. Like, this is not the person you go to for good news. This is not the person you expect to give you good news, and you've waited so long. But John's got something to say, so we'll take it. Might as well hear something because all of this time, since those angels showed up to those shepherds, we have been waiting for some good news. And John says, okay, this is it. This is what happens in Luke 3. Luke says, John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That was just what I was hoping for, John. You brood of vipers. John, let's just say John doesn't have the most gentle of bedside manners. Because I have been preaching a long time, and I coach preachers, and one of the things that I tell all of my clients is um, you want to try not to offend your hearers on accident. If you offend them on purpose, that's fine. Like that kind of comes with the territory every now and then. But try not to offend them by accident. John doesn't care. He just starts out with you brood of vipers. But that's not the worst part. The worst part is that he says, you think that you will be made right because you are Abraham's children. And God can get Abraham's children for everywhere. Being one of Abraham's children will not save you which is actually a pretty good word because not much has changed in the last 2,000 years because most of us are counting on something besides God to save us. If we can be rich enough or smart enough, be pretty enough, successful enough, Maybe a relationship will save me. Maybe there's something out there that if I can get it, have access to it, then everything will be okay. And John starts saying, that's not going to do it. 
but then it gets worse. John goes on, Luke tells us this story. He says, and the crowds asked him, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized and they asked him, teacher, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, and we, what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. And that's a great question. What should we do? Listen to what John tells him. He says, if you've got two coats, you give away one. And the same with food. If you've got more than enough, you give it away. If you are in a position of power, if you have resources, if you have influence, you are honest with your words. If you have authority, you don't do anything by threats or false accusations. John says, you tell the truth even when you don't have to tell the truth. When you are in a position where your word will be believed over against someone else's word because of the position you are in, you tell the truth. And just because you can take something, you don't take it. Even if it's legal for you to take it. No one's gonna catch you. It's not unethical. Because tax collectors could do that all the time. It was just part of the culture. It happened all the time. You don't do it. You don't abuse other people. That's what you do. And when you have more than you need, you give it away. Well, clearly folks are gonna have a response to this. And this is what Luke tells us happened. He says, as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the granary, but the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. So, with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people.
and there it is. That's, that's the good news. And maybe that's why one of my favorite theologians, a man named Frederick Buechner, said to many of us, the good news is bad news before it's good news. Because when I hear that I should expect good news of great joy, I hear good news of great joy for me. And John says, the good news is that your life will bring great joy to others. What's the good news? The good news is that the cold become warmed. And the good news is that the hungry are fed. The good news is that people who claim to follow Jesus don't leverage their position and power for themselves. The good news is that we are not avaricious people always seeking more and more and more. The good news is that when we say something to our neighbors and to the world, that we will be known by our word and our word keeping. The good news is that we don't lie. We don't make false accusations and we don't support other people who make false accusations either. Even if they're our family, even if they're our political party, even if we really want it to be true, that's the good news, is that our lives, your life, my life is fundamentally transformed, not into one that seeks to make exchanges, but into a life that is committed to giving. And this should not be a surprise because when Jesus comes to earth, from his birth until his death, Everything that he does is about giving so that you and I can experience a life of great joy. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.